Welcome to Restoration Church. Uh, if you have a Bible today, I'm going to invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have a Bible, if you need a Bible, just slip your hand up and uh, we'd love to bring, uh, we've got a couple Bibles in the back. We'd love to, to give one of those to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take this home as a, as a gift from Restoration Church. If you're uh, looking for Jeremiah, uh, open up in the middle of your Bible, you'll find a book called Psalms and uh, just hang a right and uh, it's a couple books to the right. As we uh, get started, uh, typically within a church, there's a couple different attitudes that a church will have towards the city. And we think about the city, we think about the city that we live in. Um, there's an attitude of apathy. There's an attitude of animosity. And there's an attitude of imitation. And, and, and an attitude of apathy means you're neither for or against the city. And so a church would be just in the city. And they really, they make no impact on the city. Uh, you know, don't really care either way. They're not for the city. They're not against it. And I would say that there's probably a lot of churches that are apathetic towards the city. Where, hey, we're just here. This is what we do. We're here. We're not for it. We're not against it. Another attitude that often churches have for uh, the city is an attitude of animosity. And this is an attitude where we are against the city. We have this escapist mentality, like, like the, the, the city is evil and the church is good. And so you have this idea, you've got to keep them as far away as you can. And you kind of get the picture, if you can remember the book of Jonah, where Jonah's sitting on top of the hilltop, looking down at Nineveh. And, and he's wishing and saying, God, I don't want to have to go into the city. God, would you just destroy the city of Nineveh? And this is kind of this, this animosity towards the city where the church doesn't have anything to do with the city. So it's us versus them. It's an isolation. We want to isolate ourselves from the city, from the culture around us. And more recently, there's another attitude that has increasingly uh, popped up in, uh, in, in churches today. And we start looking at the city. And that's an attitude of imitation. Churches try to imitate the city. This is where the church wants to look and feel and, and act like the city. And to some idea, to some extent, that sounds like a good idea, and it probably is a good idea, but it can quickly be problematic. Because what happens is oftentimes the church will bend so far to the culture to look like the city around them, to, 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 to be like the city, that they quit being who God has called them to be. They, they, they end up having a, a watered-down gospel with a desire to be inclusive, but really it misses the whole point of the church, which is to be set apart, which is to be the people of God. And fortunately, though, when you look at these attitudes towards the city, there's a, there's a fourth attitude that God's going to give us about an attitude that we should take for the city. And that is to be um, uh, sacrificially loving the city. This is to be a church that means what it means to be for the city. This is not just in the city. This is not against the city. This is not to, to imitate the city. This is what it means for us to be for the city. And as today, today is our annual celebration Sunday. This is an opportunity we have once a year to, to gather together as a church, to talk through vision, to talk through what God has done with us in this last year and where God's taken us in this upcoming year. Um, this is a very important conversation for us to have, is that we are going to be a church for the city. And we've, we, each year on this annual celebration Sunday, we kind of come back to the same idea about who we are as a church. And you know why we do this? Because we get distracted very easily. We get distracted very easily. And instead of being intentional as to why God has, has called us to plant this church, we get distracted by all sorts of things. Look a butterfly. Look a squirrel. In fact, 
as a pastor, as a pastor, I get these church emails every week. And there's, you know, churchleaders.com and, and pastors.com. They send me all these articles saying, hey, if you're going to be a great church, you've got to do these five things. And, and here's, here's seven steps to make yourself the greatest church in the world. And I get all these emails. And I realize how easy it is for us to get distracted from, from what God has called us to do. For why we exist as a church. And that is we exist to be a church for the city. And so today, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I know we've been in the series in Daniel for last couple of weeks. And, and we're going to kind of pause from Daniel uh, and come back to Daniel next week. But this context of what Jeremiah is going to say in, in Jeremiah 29 actually fits in this idea of where, where, where Daniel is. Because in fact, Jeremiah is a prophet. And Jeremiah is, is writing to the exiles like Daniel and his friends. So, before we jump in and read this, would you just uh, join me in a word of prayer? God, as we just have this opportunity right now to open up your word, um, God, I pray that you would be in our midst. God, I pray that you would just allow us to hear what it is you have for us today. God, I pray that you would speak through your word. Uh, that, God, as we think about vision, we think about who we are, we think about identity, that, God, you would help us to cement those things, to be who you've called us to be. God, I pray for those of us in here today who are on the fringes. God, I pray that today they would hear this vision. They would hear this identity. And they say, this is who I want to be. And they'd make that commitment to, to plug in with us, God. God, I pray that you just give us unity today. That you give us a passion for who you've created us to be. That we'd be one in vision. One in purpose. One in mission. God, I pray that you'd use this word to speak to us today, Jesus. We love you. And we praise you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. You can follow along with, in your Bible. It'll also be on the screen up here. And he writes, this is, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King uh, Jokaniah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, uh, Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As I said, the prophet Jeremiah, he was a prophet at the same time that Daniel and his friends were, were exiled into Babylon. And so, uh, remember just context, Babylon was the world power of the day. They were the mightiest nation in the world at that point. And they had, had, had gone into uh, Israel, they'd gone into Jerusalem, they, they, they tore down the city, they tore down the temple, and then they took a portion of the, uh, uh, the Israelites back captive with them. If you remember, they took the best of the best initially, and they left the, the, the weaker uh, people back in Israel. 
In Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah gives a prophecy to the people, to the exiles, and says, hey, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. It's going to be 70 years that God is going to hold us in judgment because we have rebelled against what God has called us to do. And then uh, moving just a little bit forward, there was a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah goes to the exiles and says, hey, exiles, listen, 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 it's okay. God's going to come back within two years and save us. So, so Jeremiah tells the people, hey, you've got 70 years. And this Hananiah, this false prophet, comes in. Hey, guys, I've got best news for you. It'll be two years, and then we'll be out of this thing. Well, because Hananiah was, was teaching falsely, chapter 28 of Jeremiah, uh, God takes Hananiah's life because he's prophesied wrongly. And so after Hananiah has gone and spoken to all the people and given them a false hope, Chapter 29, this letter, is Jeremiah's response to what Hananiah had done. And he, he, he begins to say, he writes this letter to the people of Judah, uh, all these people taken in exile. Say, well, well what does is, what is Jewish exiles in Babylon have to do with you and me? Like, 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 why do I care what happened many years ago with all these people? Like, what does it have to do in 2017, Yakima, Washington? Because as Christians, all of us are called exiles. This is James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, Philippians 3.20, Ephesians 2.19. Throughout the New Testament, God calls us as Christians exiles. He's saying we, 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 we believe, we belong to God. We belong, belong to God's kingdom, but we're here on this earth as exiles in a place that isn't our true home. And so we need to understand that as Jeremiah is writing these exiles, there is an application to us that we can learn, hey, what does it look like for us to live as exiles on this earth? And as Jeremiah is going to write this letter from God to these exiles, there's, there's a, a three-pronged message that he's going to give these exiles. He's going to see first, he's going to say, settle into the city. I get it. You wish you were someplace else. Settle into the city. Secondly, he's going to say, don't forget your true identity. And third, he's going to say, seek the welfare of the city. His first point, he says, is going to settle into the city. He tells the exiles, settle into the city. Verses 4, 5, and 6, he says, he says, uh, to all the exiles that I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce and take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. He's saying, settle into the city. And you've got to think, well, 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 why is this outrageous? Why is this a big deal? Why is Jeremiah saying this? Because these people, these exiles, have been living kind of like refugees. They, 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 they've left the place that they've known. They've left, they've left the, the, the place of the country of God. This is a country that they all worship God. And, and these people in Israel, if you were walking along in Israel and you saw a... You saw a uh, an idol temple or, 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 or anything of that sort, you could tear it down. But now in Babylon, they're going to walk by and see uh, all these false... <coughs> Excuse me. They're going to see all these, these, these false idols all the time. They can't do anything about it. And so what happened is because Hananiah came in and said, hey, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to be able to be free in two years. What happened was uh, the exiles began to remove themselves from the city. There was a, uh, some countryside right outside Babylon uh, called the River Chebar. This is an area that was devastated by war. 
And what happened is the exiles, because they realized, hey, because they hoped within two years they're going to be free, they kind of said, no, we're going to remove ourselves and, and isolate ourselves from the city. They didn't want the, the city's influence. They didn't want Babylon influence over them. And they said, we're here for a short time. And this is where we look in, in Christians. Sometimes it sounds like this great idea that we could like remove ourselves from the culture around us. Like we think about like the idea of living in a monastery. Like sometimes living in a monastery sounds good. Because the reality of it, we don't want to have those negative influences around you. It would be easy for you and I to, to follow Christ and to be, remain faithful to him if there wasn't all the temptations bombarding us day in and day out. In fact, this is some of the mentality that some churches and some Christians have into the cultures. Hey, we're going to remove ourselves. We're going we're to uh, seclude ourselves from from the world around us. And this is what Jeremiah is saying in the very beginning. He says, don't remove yourself. Don't isolate yourself. Think about those churches in the very beginning. Don't have that animosity towards the city. He says, make this your home. Plant gardens, build houses, eat those gardens, raise the kids there. Do it in the city of Babylon. Do it in the culture. Live and settle into the city. Second thing he says, verse 6, he says, Take wives and have sons and daughters, and take wives to your sons and daughters, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. And he says, Multiply there in the city, in Babylon, and do not decrease. He says, I want you, as God's people, I don't want you to decrease, I want you to increase. And this is kind of blasting the idea that we should be a church that imitates the city. This really blasts that idea. He's shooting it down to say, hey, in this Babylon, in this, in this city, you need to not lose your identity. Don't forget your true identity as a son and daughter and child of God. You've got to remember, this is how Babylon worked. They wanted to indoctrinate you. They wanted you to forget who you were. This is where they took, uh, remember, they took da Daniel and his friends. They took 10,000 of the brightest young uh, Israelites. And they brought them and they, they indoctrinated them into Babylonian society. They said, hey, all you, all you Israelites, you come. We're going to put you through our public school system. We're going to force you to learn um, our religion. We're going to force you to eat what we eat and drink what we drink. And in every way, we want you to live and be like a Babylonian. And then when these young people graduated from the public school, they, they gave them government jobs, gave them jobs of importance. They didn't treat them as slaves. They even gave them some freedoms. Again, they're taking these young people, they're indoctrinating them. They're, they're giving them power and prestige and, and position. Their idea is if we can assimilate these Israelites into Babylonian culture, and we can assimilate them to become just like us, then a couple generations down, when we say, hey, if you're an Israelite, raise your hand, not many people will raise their hand anymore. Because they're going to look and say, hey, look, Babylon's been so good to us. We're just another Babylonian. And they would forget their ident identity. And those Israelites would begin to take on uh, Babylonian systems and values and, and ways of thinking. And they'd forget who they truly are. And this is where God's saying, don't do this. Don't do that. He's saying, do not decrease. You, in fact, increase. Don't forget your identity. This is where 1 Peter 1.16, quoting out of, out of Leviticus, God says, be holy for I am holy. And this is the identity of a child of God, is we are to be holy 
And, and so he's saying this, this message where you've got to go and plant yourself into the city and settle into the city, but don't forget your true identity as a child of God. Because there are parts of you that have to be set apart, different from the, the, the people around you. And this is, this is what he's saying. Go into the city, plant yourself there, live there, but do not forget who you are as a child of God. You are to be a part of the city, but remember that God is to be in the middle of that. It would be almost easier for us to think, well, wouldn't it be easier for us to just move into the city and assimilate or get out of the city and, and not have anything to do with them? But really, what it comes down to, in a sense, these people are supposed to be ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador goes into, uh, it's an incredibly hard job. An ambassador goes into a country, and they're supposed to live in that country, talk the language of that country, seek the benefit of that country, while still representing their first country. So let's just use some countries, for example. Let's say, let's say you're from Turkey, okay? And so you're from Turkey, and you're sent as an ambassador to Hungary. Those two countries seem like they go together, Okay, so you're from Turkey and you are sent to represent Turkey in Hungary. Now, obviously, when you go to when you go to Hungary, you should probably talk like Hungarians. You should talk whatever language the Hungary. So the Turkey is going to talk like you're hungry and that's the way it's going to work. You have to be coherent to the Hungarian people. I had some fun thinking about this this week. Sorry. And and. When you're in Hungary and you're from Turkey and you're the ambassador from Turkey, you are always trying to represent Turkey. And so you're always in Hungary. You're always trying to show links. Hey, this is how Turkey and Hungary could work together. This is how we could do some projects together. This is how we could have some commonality between Turkey and Hungary. But most importantly, if you're the ambassador from Turkey, you're living in Hungary... You must never forget that your first priority is always to represent Turkey. You can't forget this fact. As an ambassador, you cannot forget the fact that you represent Turkey first before you do anything else in Hungary. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, as, as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. We have an identity tied to the kingdom of God first and foremost. That is, that is our, our home nation. But God has placed us in this world, in this city, in this culture. And he's called us as ambassadors to seek the good around us, to, to pursue the things around us, but not to forget who we are. Our first priority always has to come back to the kingdom of God. And this is an absolute difficult job for us to, to comprehend and figure out how we, we do this. We're to be good citizens of an earthly city, but we're to keep the, the, the true citizenship of the kingdom of God. You kind of say, there's a little bit of tension there. Like, like how do we do this well? Because some of us have, have tried to live in this tension. You found, man, this is hard to do. But listen, as, as Christians, this is who we are. We are ambassadors sent by God from his kingdom onto this earth. And here's the outrageous part. 
See, not only, not only is Jeremiah and God, not only telling the exiles, hey, we want you to settle in this city. We don't want you to forget your true identity. But there's also a third part. If you remember, Babylon, they took Israelites captive. It wasn't willfully doing. They took them captive. And it, to an extent, you could say that they're their enemy. They're an enemy, right? And here's, here's what's outrageous, because this is what God tells the exiles. He says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on their behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God says, I want you to go into the city. I want you to pursue and I want you to seek the welfare of this city. I don't want you to hate them. I want you to love them. I don't want you to escape the city or escape the culture. In fact, I want you to stay and seek the welfare of the people who have beaten you down. Seek the welfare of the people who could potentially be your enemies. This is where in Jesus or in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on Mount, Jesus says to Christians, you are the salt of the earth. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And to be a light, it doesn't mean that you stand over the city to show how great you are. Being salt and being light in the city means that we seek the welfare of the city around us, of the people around us. And the key word in this whole text, verse 7, is going to be this word, welfare. The Hebrew word is, is shalom. I know Dan Brown has done an extensive study on this word shalom before. Usually, when you see this word shalom translated in the Bible, it can be translated through any number of words. It can be translated as peace. Um, it can be translated as um, uh, welfare, prosperity, safety, health. We, we, we hear this word peace, we think, well, that's like two enemies, you know, two enemies when they decide to stop fighting. Like, like there's, there's peace within that. And so certainly that's what God wants is just, just that kind of peace where people aren't fighting. But listen, that word shalom, our English language doesn't have a word that encompasses all of what shalom really means. And if you were to try and, and describe it, try and translate that word, it would be something like universal flourishing, universal wholeness, universal health. See, God's not just saying, hey, be at peace and don't fight with the Babylonians. God's saying, seek, their, their, their well, seek everything you can for them. Seek their universal flourishing. Now, let's just be honest. Like, it would have been crazy for God just to say, be at peace with them. Like, no more fighting with them. Just, just be nice to them. Like, that would have been crazy for God to say to these exiles. But God's going even further. And this is why it is so revolutionary. God is saying, seek their universal flourishing. See, what this means is oftentimes people approach the culture or the city for what they can get from it. You approach the city, you approach the culture and say, well, I have to, you know, it has a benefit to me. So I don't know why you are here in Yakima. Maybe you're in Yakima because they give you 300 days of sunshine a year. Maybe you're in Yakima because you've got family here and you want to be by family. Maybe you're in Yakima because there's a job and you want the, the, the paycheck from that job. Like we have these things that we expect from the city. We want these things from the city. But listen, God did not put you in a city for you to take from the city. God put you first and foremost in the city for you to give towards that city. To seek its shalom. 
to seek its universal flourishing. And listen, I want to be clear, this doesn't just mean only spiritual flourishing. This goes much beyond spiritual flourishing. We absolutely do seek those things. We seek theological and and spiritual flourishing. We want to see that happen. But there's also this idea on on social flourishing, on health, on wellness, on, on, on wholeness, on prosperity. In fact, this is why, when we understand what Jesus has said in the New Testament, this is why he tells us to to care for the poor, to to feed the hungry, to to heal the sick, to minister to the lonely and the oppressed, to bring justice to the people around us. Because we are to seek the the shalom of the city around us, the, the universal flourishing of the city around us. And here's what the implications of what that means. If you have a business and you begin to put that business plan together, the business plan is not just to benefit you. As a Christian, we should be seeking or using our business plan to say, how can I benefit the city around me? Parents, listen, you need to hear this. Like, like you are not here just to seek the flourishing of your kids. Now listen, I want your kids to flourish and you want your kids to flourish. And you've ever played youth sports you know there's a lot of parents that really want their kids to flourish. Like their kids are always going to be number one, looking out for their kids. That's the way it is. But listen, as Christian parents, it is our responsibility to seek the flourishing of the kids around us. Thinking about teachers. I have a couple teachers in here. Your responsibility is not just to seek the flourishing of your own school, your own class, but you are called to seek the flourishing of the entire city, the people around you. This is what it means for us to be a church, not just in the city, not against the city, but to be a church for the city. It's that we seek universal flourishing in all areas. We try and have whatever impact we can make on the city in whatever way we can impact it. And so here we are today, annual celebration Sunday. Let's come back and let's talk through vision. Let's talk about Restoration Church. Listen, there's two points of application I want to give to you today about what this means for us as a church. And first, first and foremost, would you settle into the city with me? Would you settle into the city with me? Now, listen, I know all about our city. I mean, we can all watch the news reports and read the newspapers. Our city is broken. We've got all sorts of issues going on. We've got, we've, got, we've got gang issues. We've got crime issues. We've got the homeless issue that has really blown up in the last year. We've got all these issues. We've got the plaza coming up. We've got, we've got budgets we're trying to figure out. Can our city meet? And these are all the things in our city. And then we look and we say, we're a downtown church plant. Listen, sometimes you come downtown, there's some weird stuff that goes on downtown. Like, there's some weird stuff that happens down here. And listen, truthfully, this is the truth about uh, about it. People love the idea of a downtown church plant. I mean, if we say we're a a downtown church, people say, man, I love that idea. That's awesome. But the practicality of being a church in the city, man, that's tough. Because we come down into the city and we're confronted every day with, with the brokenness of our city. Like, we can't. Look the other way. It happens on our front porch sometimes. This is part of of being a downtown church plant. Sometimes it'd be easier for us to say, man, what if if we just stayed in the suburbs? 
What if we went to a church where everybody looked just like me? Everybody talked just like me. Everybody, everybody was, was comfortable just like me. Listen, do you realize that God has placed you in Yakima? See, in that text, verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Those Israelites, it wasn't by chance that they were in Babylon. God placed them there for a reason and for a purpose. Listen, there's not by chance that you were in Yakima. In fact, in fact, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, God determines our times and God determines our dwelling places. Listen, God has planted you in the city of Yakima. You are here because God desires for you to be here. And God has intentions and purposes and good works in store for you to seek the welfare of the city around us. You're not here just to get fat, to just to sit back, to get fat and be comfy. God has a purpose and a reason for you here in the city of Yakima. In fact, as I start thinking about Restoration Church, I wrote this in August of 2012, six months before we planted a church. This is what we wrote. We said, the church in general has a heart for downtown Yakima, evident through all sorts of outreach events. Listen, we need a church with a heart to share the gospel with a neighbor. Not just to share the gospel with a neighbor, but to disciple, to encourage, to equip, and to live the gospel out alongside those in this city. That is why we are here. Because there's this idea that we can come and we can feel good about ourselves, about going downtown and, and doing something in the city, and we can feel really good about that. But discipleship takes more than just coming down and feeling good and going back to what's comfortable. There's this idea that, that, that when, I, when I'm saying let's settle into the city, this is what I mean. I mean, don't allow your church experience to be Sunday morning and that's it. Don't come on Sunday and help out and then quietly return to the comforts of your own home. Settle into the city. Build some relationships with people. Invest in people. You say, well, well, how do I build a relationship with somebody? You know what relationship? You know how you build a relationship with somebody? Time spent. It's very simple. Spend time with people. Sit down over lunch. Talk to them about life. Pray with them. Listen to their story. Listen, I know sometimes it can be messy. But there is beauty that rises out of the ashes. In fact, I ran into a kid that I used to mentor at Madison House. And uh, ran into him at Safeway this past week. And it was awesome to see this kid. This is a kid that we poured into uh, hours and countless hours into this kid. Great kid. His family, there were some drug issues in their family. His dad was, he, he walked in on his dad doing drugs a couple of different times. And this kid had his challenges facing. And we poured into him. We poured into him educationally. And he gets to the point where he's a senior in high school and he doesn't graduate. He begins to pull off. He begins to say, you know what? I'm tired of this. I don't want to pursue this anymore. And we're sitting here saying, man, this sucks. This hurts. Why, why is this so hard? Then I ran into him last week at, at Safeway. This young man is married. He's got an 18-year-old or 18-month-old daughter. He's got a, a baby uh, on the way. He works full-time at Coca-Cola. He works part-time at Safeway so he can provide for his family. And you know what he said? He said, thanks, man. 
Thanks just for that relationship. Thanks for that example. Thanks for investing in me. And this is what it means for us to settle into the city. Is that we're looking and saying, who are the people around us that we can invest in? Who are the people right here that we could begin to invest in? And say, you know what? It might be messy. But I'm going to make that commitment to walk alongside life with somebody. To invest in them. I'm not saying you have to live right next to the seasons. But I'm saying in your circle of influence, in the people that you're looking to invest in, would you consider investing in those right here? When we start talking church planning, it's this great idea to see this quick and explosive church plan. My brother-in-law is in Boise, Idaho, and it's been great seeing his church. His church has just blown up, and it's been phenomenal to see that happen. But listen, what we're doing here at Restoration Church is a little different. We're seeking diversity. Diversity in age, diversity in economics, diversity in ethnics. And all these things make church difficult. But listen, if there's a commitment between all of us to be who God has called us to be, it's possible. And it's beautiful. And it's a little picture of what heaven is going to be like. When we come together, we say we come from all these different backgrounds, but we settle in to life together. There's a beauty that comes out of that. The second thing, application point for us, is I think we're supposed to figure out how to sacrificially love the city around us. God told those Israelites, he says, don't seek for yourself, but I want you to seek the shalom of the city around you. I want you to seek the the shalom of the people around you. And I think it's the same call to every one of us to seek the welfare and the shalom of the people and the city around us. Listen, it's been a great three and a half, almost four years. We've seen God do some amazing things through here. And there's been beautiful examples of of people in our church who have sought the shalom of the people around them. And I I know you're not supposed to use people as examples, but um, I think it's important for us to say, what does it look like for us to seek the shalom of of the city around us? There's great examples. Stephen Kelly Scott, I'm going to pick on you guys for just a second, put you on the spot. Stephen Kelly, they started a life group three and a half years ago. And I love this life group because Stephen Kelly have kept that life group together from the beginning. They've invested in a group of people. They love people through the thick and thin. In fact, I love the last couple of years, they've decided we're going to spend Thanksgiving together with our life group. I think that's not even family. Like, like, like you, 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 you sacrificially love people in that way. Listen, what I know about Stephen Kelly, both of those people are high-functioning leaders, have important jobs. They've got two great kids. They've got three beautiful grandkids. They have a ton of things that they could do with their time. And they've chosen to sacrificially love and to seek the welfare of that people in that group. Listen, that's a beautiful thing. That's a picture of what it looks like for us to seek the welfare of the people around us. Another example of seeking the the welfare, the shalom of the people around us. Our church, as every year, you can read our budget. We budget in benevolence giving in 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 our budget. 
We make a commitment, hey, we're going to give this much money into the community to help meet needs, to, to help people with where they are. In the last three and a half years, we've given almost 15,000 people, $15,000 back in the community just to help meet basic needs. In fact, this past year, this past year, we budgeted $4,000 for benevolent needs. And I'm honored to say that we gave over $5,000 out because the needs kept coming in. People kept coming in saying, hey, I need help. I need help with groceries for my family. We, we aren't able to get onto assistance and we need some help with groceries. Great, let's help meet that need. Another man came in and said, hey, I came to Yakima. I had to deal with this court thing and my car blew up and I got 50 bucks out of it, out of the, out of the junkyard, but I don't have enough money to get back to Seattle. Can you help me with a Greyhound ticket? Absolutely, man. Let's meet that need. Medical expenses, all sorts of things. And I, I think it's a beautiful picture. That we as a church are going to seek the shalom, the, 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 the benefit of the people around us through a very practical way. In fact, because we've done this, because we've gone through more money than we budgeted, the elders uh, got together last month and they said, let's do this. We want to continue to be a generous church and, and meet needs. And so we're going to continue to budget our $4,000. But we're going to do four special offerings this year to take offerings above and beyond from what we normally do to go to that same purpose, to say, how can we continue to meet needs for people that have needs in our community? That should be what we're about. That should be a part of who we are. And it's a beautiful picture. Speaking about a benevolent need and benevolent opportunity, uh, Dan Brown, who's one of our elders, he's got a friend that he works with who uh, recently fell on the ice and broke his ankle. He's a guy who lives on his own. And uh, he sent a request out just to say, hey, you know what? Is there any possibility I could just get a little bit of help? You know, I, I tried to get up and do some of the work around my house and I fell again. And, and if there was somebody who could come in once a week, twice a week, and just help me do some basic cleaning, help me get to the grocery store. Man, there's some needs like that around us. Like, are those the things, as a church, are we willing to help meet those needs? Listen, I don't know if, if somebody's in here and you're like, man, I could jump into that. Man, I'd love to see our church step into that. Say, hey, we can help. We can help just love the city and seek the, 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 the shalom of those around us. One of the other things when we think about seeking the shalom of our city, when we started our community garden two years ago, we learned a few things about our city. We learned a lot about homelessness. That was one of the recurring things that popped up in our community garden was the homeless kept coming and, 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 and having these issues. This past year, you saw the encampment on 3rd on Street, and there was, wow, where'd all this homeless issue come from? Listen, seeking the shalom of our city means we don't just turn a blind eye to that. So as a church, a few of our elders have just continued to, to be in the conversation We've met with uh, uh, the Yakima Valley Conference of Governments. We've met with, um, with Neighborhood Health. We've met with, we've met with um, Transformation Yakima. We've met with Sunrise Outreach. Trying to say, what can we do about this homeless issue? And I don't have any solutions at this point. But other than to say, we want to be a part of the solution. We don't want to turn a blind eye to what's happening around us and say, somebody else is going to do this. We want to say, what can we proactively do to seek the shalom of our city, the benefit, the, 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 the flourishing of our city? So we talk about seeking the flourishing of our city. One of the things we're going to do, another thing we're doing this year, is we're trying to say, how do we, how do we seek the, the shalom of those right around us? 
our neighbors around the seasons. And so this April, what we're going to do right before Easter is we're going to do a neighborhood barbecue. And just go, we're going to spend some time before that going around the neighborhoods, inviting people in, and have a Saturday afternoon where we just say, hey, let us do a barbecue, hamburgers, hot dogs, chips, some drinks. Let us get some games for the kids. And let us just get to know our neighbors. Invite them in. Begin to build a relationship. Begin to, 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 to love people. You say, well, why would we do this? Why would we sacrifice? Why would we give sacrificial love to the people around us, to our city? We do this because the example that Jesus gave for us. Jesus was the ultimate example of sacrificial love. Because in our worst moments, the moments that we'd be most shameful of, the moments that we won't want anyone to know about, in that moment, God's love showed through to us through the life of Jesus Christ. That in our worst, his love was the strongest. In our worst, his love was the strongest. It's where John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, every one of us, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the epitome of what sacrificial love looks like. That God gave himself, God gave his son when we were unworthy of it. He sacrificed it all so we can have a relationship with him. And what we're asking, what God's asking of us, is that we would sacrifice of ourselves so others could find a relationship in him as well. It's all about relationships. It's all about all these things that we're doing. We think about doing this, this neighborhood barbecue. Our goal isn't to do a neighborhood barbecue to feel good about ourselves. Say, look at us, we did something in the city. No, you see, when we do these outreach things, you know what the goal is? And I have to be reminded of this. Because oftentimes it's, hard, it's easy to get lost in the details. It's easy to get lost in, well, here's our tasks we have to accomplish, and now we've done it, we're good. We've got to go beyond that. To say the reason we do these things is to build relationships. In fact, this is one of our core values. I pulled this straight off our website. We said, it's all about relationships. We believe that ministry is all about relationships. Jesus taught the same thing. It's all about our relationship with him and our relationship with others. We say, we are intentional about developing meaningful relationships with those different than us. We want to connect people to Jesus and to one another so they can grow in the community as God intended. It's all about relationships. So here's, here's what I'm going to do to be as about as practical as I can be. Just as we try and wrap this thing up. I'm going to be as practical as I can be. Who are you investing in this year? Not family members. Not Who are you investing in? Who are you sacrificially loving? Who are you seeking their shalom? Who are you walking alongside? Listen, I don't, I don't really care what resources you have. I don't really care all those things. This year, this is a commitment I want every one of us to make. It's to begin a new relationship with somebody. Pouring into them. Call them a friend. Call them a, a mentor, a mentee. Call them a disciple. Call them whatever you want to call them. But would you find somebody, maybe in this community, Maybe around us that you would pour into. 
You say, well, what is that? I don't know how to do that. What does that mean? It means that you be a friend. It means practically, it means that you pray for them. It means that you text them regularly. Hey, man, how's it going? Thinking about you, praying for you today. It means that you say, hey, let's get, let's get church. Let, let's, let's get coffee together. Let's get lunch together. Let me hear how things are going. This is where you, you connect at church. And if you don't see him at church, you say, hey, man, we missed you at church this Sunday. We'd love to see you next week. This is where you say, well, how do I do this? You, you say, hey, let's read a book together. Let's birth, both grow. Let's, let's say we're going to read this book together and talk about what we read and talk about what we learned. Share your wisdom with this person. Because listen, we can have lots of great things on our website. We can say we're all about relationships. But are we? Are we really investing in people in that way? Some of you do this great. But some of you are like me. You get so busy with the busyness of church that you almost forget about that relationship aspect. This is what I'm asking you to do. Every one of us, identify somebody that you can invest in. Somebody that you can disciple and pour into and spend time with and pray with and encourage and seek their welfare, seek their benefit. Listen, if, that, if you're saying, well, well I, you know, I, I'm on the setup team and I don't have the time. Listen, I'd rather you invest in a person than set up on the setup team. Like, like, like I'm that serious. Like, if this is who we're supposed to be, like, like, like let's do it. Let's be people that say, I'm going to invest in relationships around me. Just as we try and bring this thing to a close, let me say, I love this church. I love being your pastor. It is a privilege for me to stand up here every week and be able to open up God's word. It is a privilege to walk through life with you. To serve Christ alongside of you. But listen, I want to be clear with who we are as a church. Clear about why we exist. We are a church for the city. To seek the shalom and the universal flourishing of the city around us. I'm asking you, would you join in with me? Would you join in with me to be a church for the city? Let's pray. God, just thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you've done in our church. God, as we think about what the last three and a half years have held, God, you've been so gracious to us. God, you've allowed us to, to, to reach people, to proclaim your word, to see disciples being made. You've given us the opportunity to live out our call as sons and daughters of God. And God, as we just come back to this idea about who we are, God, I pray that you help us understand what it means for us to be a church for the city. God, and it seems it came back to this idea about relationships. That, God, we're supposed to be investing in people. And God, I pray as, as we, we, we ask this question about who are we investing in, God, I pray that we would take that seriously, every one of us, to say, man, there's somebody I need to be investing in. Maybe I don't have a ton of resources. Maybe I don't have, maybe I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. But listen, every one of us have the opportunity to encourage people around us. 
Listen, if you're saying, I don't know who, listen, just, just come see me. Say, hey, Kevin, I'd love to be able to do that. I'd love to be able to invest in someone. Can you help me pair with somebody else? God, I pray that you help us to be this type of church, a church for the city that seeks the shalom of those around us, that loves people. God, I pray that this upcoming year, that God, that you would do some some amazingly beautiful things in our midst. God, I pray that we would see many people come to know you as their Savior. God, that we see many people come to, to make you known. Just help us to grow deeper in love with you. God, we love you and praise you. And thank you for that example of sacrificial love. God, when we don't deserve it, you love us the most. God, I pray that we would be able to live in that identity. Sons and daughters of God. Loved beyond what we could ever compare, ever understand. God, just thank you for meeting us here now. Just pray that you help us to continue to, to worship you now as we respond to your word through worship. God, we'd wrestle with these questions about are we really going to be this type of church? And am I really willing to love people the way that you called us to? God, be with us here now. We ask this in your holy and precious name.